We're going to open up episode 305 of Monster Kid Radio with the song Party Grave. It's from the band The Murmurs. They're a surf band out of Gainesville, Florida, and this is from their album Get Swell Soon. You can find them at themurmurs.bandcamp.com. Welcome to the show. I am your host, writer, producer, Derek M. Cook, and we're playing Party Grave because it's a party this week on Monster Kid Radio. It's a mad monster party. Yeah. See how I did that? Clever kind of. Yeah, but anyway, we're talking about the movie Mad Monster Party from 1967 on this show this week with my good friend and colleague, the man behind the podcast Comic Book Central, Joe Stuber. Joe Stuber's been on the show a few times in the past. Well, maybe more than a few times. He's not been on the show enough, is the bottom line. So we had him on to talk about this film. Real quick, up front, last week I mentioned comicbookcentral.com being his website. No, that's not right. It's comicbookcentral.net. You need to check it out. It's a great website. And you got to check out his podcast. And he just had Richard Donner on his show. Richard Donner. Yeah, there's a Superman guy. Anyway, go check out his podcast when you're done listening to this episode of this podcast. Also this week, we have some feedback. In fact, why don't I read one of the emails right now? This email comes from Alan Trump, and it's about last week's episode and movie. Tiny spoilers, but anyway, he writes, Hi, Derek. Really enjoyed the coverage you and Steve Sullivan did on Space Probe Taurus, and I thought you might like to hear about my first encounter with the movie. It did have the alternate title, Space Monster, and a friend taped it for me on VHS about 20 years ago off the Movies Till Dawn program on a San Francisco TV station. Right off the bat, I thought it was pretty campy that we went from a poor astronaut on some distant planet requesting his contaminated ship be blown up by mission control, only to switch to stock footage of some rocket exploding on a very earthbound Cape Canaveral gantry. Then I settled in to have fun with the charming space flight flick, which reminded me a little of low-budget space epics like Phantom Planet, or Fire Maidens from Outer Space. But disappointment was waiting for me. The astronauts had just got on board the alien spaceship when we cut to a commercial break. When we got back, there was a strange space corpse on the floor, and the astronauts were yelling, Let's get out of here! The TV station had cut out one of the best scenes in the movie to make room for spots for M&M carpeting in Angelo's Italian restaurant. It wasn't until the movie showed up decades later on Cinemax that I got to see the space monster the movie was named for. Still, the rest of the film was pretty enjoyable, and one line of dialogue sticks with me even today. When the romance between Francine York and the captain is in full flower, as our hero sits down in the rocket's control room, one of the astronauts rolls his eyes and says, Somebody didn't come home last night. Captain, you player, you Casanova, you dog, tell me all about it. <laughs> you gotta run. Keep up the good work. Best wishes from St. Louis, Alan Trump. Alan's been on the show in the past, and... Darn it, he and I still need to figure out a time to talk about Astro Zombie here on the show. I'm glad you enjoyed the episode. I had a blast talking about the movie with Steve. Like I said last week, that was an episode that was kind of put together at the last minute. It wasn't something that was very well planned or thought out, but I think it came together rather well, and I think it's mostly because of Steve. I mean, the guests are what make Monster Kid Radio special. Well, the listeners make it special, then the guests, then the movies, then the surf music, and then maybe me. But anyway, <laughs> wow. Uh, anyway, um, thank you for listening. And yeah, man, that would stink to be watching the movie and then lose that one bit, especially since the TV title was Space Monster. To miss the Space Monster? <laughs> uh, uh. Anyway, Alan, thank you for writing in. Three, two, one, zero. Fly in the rocket ship of the future, 350,000 miles up. 
Explore limitless space with the world's greatest astronauts. Pegasus 4 to Lunar Base 1. We're entering a heavy magnetic field. Take part in the terrifying search for the Phantom Planet. Battle an army of deadly meteors. See daredevil men repair their ship on the edge of eternity. Vital feed lines hit. Air cut off. My ship is being drawn toward an asteroid. The instrument's completely out of operation. I'm going to try to land. I don't think I'll make it. See the first man land on the Phantom Planet. See a six-foot man shrink to six inches before your very eyes. Introducing Dolores Faith as Zetha, the girl from outer space, whose beauty secrets are wrested from the cosmic rays of the Milky Way. Discover the atomic mysteries of the universe. Those are gravity plates that we've had placed here. Their intensity is so high that any object or any person placed on any one of them would immediately disintegrate. Here, let me show you. Men on the Phantom Planet risk instant death for their women. The appalling warfare of other worlds. Sun-blazing solarites attack. The greatest danger to us is the high-intensity heat bomb. Right. They have enough concentrated heat to blow up our planet instantly. See the solarite monster break loose. Thrill to the awe-inspiring battle for survival. Activate the gravity curtain. The fantastic power of the weapons of outer space. Cosmic rays destroying the solarites. You know, I love doing emails on the show, so let's read another one. This comes from Ryan Langill. That name might sound familiar because it came up a couple of times when I was talking with Joshua Kennedy about his upcoming movie, Theseus and the Minotaur. Hi, Derek. It's been too long since I've written in to tell you how much I appreciate your show. You know how to put together a podcast that is somehow exactly the thing I want to listen to, and I haven't missed one yet. I know you have no intention of stopping. Nonetheless, I am impelled to say, keep them coming. I'm particularly looking forward to hearing you and David Schechter talk about Black Scorpion, also one of my favorites. Hearing my dude, Joshua Kennedy, that's how I'm going to refer to him from now on. My dude, hearing my dude, Joshua Kennedy, the other week was a treat. Thanks for your support with the Kickstarter for Theseus and the Minotaur. I think Joshua has a monstrous future, and I'm excited to be part of his project. I don't know if you'll read this on the podcast, but if you do, listeners, there may still be time to contribute. Well, one, uh, I am reading this on the podcast, and two, yeah, there is still time. Get to that in a second. Back to his email. Lastly, all things considered, I still have to give it to King Kong 33. Partially nostalgia, I did see it around age four on what must have been one of the last local TV broadcasts of the film in the early 80s. The 76 Kong I saw not too much later and did like it for what it was, but nothing stuck with me like the images of that foggy, Dinah-infested island. Kong 33 is just so dense with art, and he wrote that in all capitals, art that I keep going back to watch about once a year. I do wonder what Kong Skull Island will bring to the table. Take it easy, Ryan. So, 
Ryan is the stop-motion animator and filmmaker behind the short film The Beast from 20 zillion years ago. You can find it on YouTube or follow the link in the show notes. I'll make sure there's a link there as well. He's also going to be involved in the stop-motion effects for the upcoming gooey film Theseus and the Minotaur. And as of this recording, there's a week left to raise funds to help Joshua make this film. You know, he only has 26 backers on the project He's trying to get to an $8,039 budget. Only has a little over $1,600 right now. You can get a copy of the movie in advance by contributing to the project. Head over there to kickstarter.com and just look up Joshua Kennedy or Theosis and the Minotaur or what the heck. I'll put a link in the show notes as well. And then Ryan talked about King Kong. Uh, if you recall back in November, well, many new listeners can look at the archives, but if you've been with us for a while, you know that back in November, we did a two-part episode with Paul McComas talking about King Kong with a focus on King Kong 76 because we were celebrating the 40th anniversary of King Kong 76 being last year. I still think King Kong, the original, is the best. Uh, don't get me wrong. While Paul did sway me quite a bit and made me appreciate King Kong 76 a lot, I still don't think it's better than the original. I mean, it's the original, and you're right. I mean, having that just, like, well, you put it best in your email where you capitalized every letter of the word art. It is art. It's epic. It's amazing. And Kong 76 does have a lot of that as well. I don't think the 2005 version really does, but, uh, you know, it's hard to feel like you're in an epic movie when you know that so much of it is green screen. Whereas with Kong 76, and specifically the original Kong, you've got everything there. I mean, they couldn't make it up with computers. It was all there, and it's epic, and it's grand, and it's beautiful. And the stop motion is just, it's mind-blowing, especially considering when it was done. It's just, Willis O'Brien, genius. Ryan, thank you for writing in. News of all. At nightfall, monstrous animals crawl out of crater of volcano. Great herds of cattle stampede before this living inferno. Vast area devastated by appalling new horror. A creature named the Black Scorpion by panic-stricken people of San Lorenzo. Entire population prays for deliverance. For miles around, cowboys came upon one dead steer after another. One of them had heard the tale of the demon bull of the Maricopa, having lost family or friends to something absolutely unknown. He could be in another world. Nation's leaders confer as news received a possible threat to capital. This is a city of four million people. If word of these leaks out, the panic of the population could be worse than the scorpions. The black scorpion destroys communications. Hundreds annihilated. I appreciate everybody's feedback for the show. I love getting emails and voicemails and that sort of thing. And, you know, we got a few more emails. Are you going to hear them now? All right, fine. Twist my arm. This next email comes from Paul C. He's a huge fan of the serials. He's actually provided me with a number of serials on DVD, the serial movies from the 30s and such on DVD. I love them. They're a blast. I haven't talked about serials here on the show since we talked about the Crimson Ghost during our first year. It's been a long time. It's been too long. And... Well, anyway, let's get to Paul's email. Hi, Derek. I thought I'd take a few minutes and say I've been enjoying Monster Kid Radio a lot lately. I especially enjoyed the interview with David Schechter. I actually still intend to buy some CDs in the beginning of 2017 sale and hope he'll be on again soon. I always enjoy hearing about present-day creators like Joshua Kennedy, so I was bound to like that one. And I had seen Space Probe Taurus on TV in the 1980s under the TV title Space Monster. 
So I was happy to revisit that one. It's been one hit after another with MKR in 2017. Well, Paul, thank you. <laughs> uh, we are only, I mean, it's the first month. So what's that? Four episodes of MKR. And I'm having a blast. I am just enjoying the Monster Kid ride. And thank you for being along for the ride and being along for so long. I really appreciate your support. And his email continues, actually. This afternoon, I was watching some movies with my sister, Katie, and we discussed times when the puppets in a movie or TV show seem just too silly. For example, he brings up, I believe it's from the 80s, the movie Rawhead Rex. He says it always evokes the theme from The Muppet Show in his tiny head. <laughs> That's awesome. Anyway, he continues. And times when they seem completely convincing, uh, like Yoda, for instance, like puppets being convincing. As he recently discussed, the English dub of the Ultraman movies, however well-intentioned, worked against engagement with the story. I recently got an old DVD of Jess Franco's movie, Bloody Moon. And aside from being a stupid, stupid movie, I haven't seen it, so I can't comment on that. The English dialogue track is painfully clumsy. I am completely comfortable with enjoying a movie on a point and laugh level. Yet I'd find more pleasure in the experience if the film could engage me as an audience member for even a minute. Other people have different aspects that pull them out of films. For a lot of young audiences, the lack of bright colors can be a stopping point, or deliberate pacing, or lack of camera motion. I've noticed that I am far more tolerant of amateurish special effects makeup than poor sound recording. For instance, I had a friend who loved silent comedy short films, yet I absolutely detest the practice of playing a couple of jazz piano records as accompaniment instead of a score which is composed for the individual film. The solution? I'd watch silent comedies with my friend with the stipulation that we would turn off the sound entirely if the film did not have its own score. So the other week I was talking about going to see the Ultraman movies and they were dubbed it's part of a big English language push, and my understanding is if those did well enough, uh, there are plans to do other movies, and I don't know if they're Ultraman movies or even series, I don't know, but there's more things potentially in the works. I enjoyed seeing Ultraman on the big screen. I love Ultraman, and just to see it on the big screen was a blast, but the English dialogue just didn't do it for me. You know, puppets in movies, really... One of my favorite monster movies, I think what people might consider one of their top 10 favorite monsters, Godzilla, his very first screen appearance, isn't that a puppet? Isn't that just a little head puppet that pops up over the uh, edge of the mountains when you first see him the first time? I think. I have to go back and rewatch the movie, darn, to double check, but isn't that a puppet? And that didn't really take me out too much. But yeah, you can sometimes have bad puppet work. Yoda's a great puppet example uh, in Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi, of course. Yoda looks perfect. The sound thing, the music thing. I'm a film score geek. I love my film scores. I love looking for new and interesting and unique film music. And if it's not the right music, it will take me right out of the movie that I'm watching, which is unfortunate, but it's just kind of how it is. You know, it's just one of those things with me. Other people I know, it's not really their breaking point. It's not an issue for them. But for me, it can be a deal breaker. And I think that's one of the reasons why I got along with David Schechter so well when I finally had him on the show. David is just a font of knowledge when it comes to this music and what works in a movie and what doesn't. And I do plan on having him back on. I'd love to get him back on to talk about The Black Scorpion, for example. Love that film. Don't talk about it enough. And as Paul mentioned in his email, he is still doing the beginning of 2017 sale where if you buy two or more CDs, you get a 30% off PayPal refund. 
And that's a heck of a deal. That's at mmmrecordings.com. Monstrous Movie Music. Or again, follow the link in the show notes. So let them know you heard about it here on Monster Kid Radio. Now, Paul also sent in a handful of other ideas for future show topics. And I love them, but I'm going to sit on them right now because... I don't want to spoil you, but Paul, these are great ideas. These are really good. And maybe they could even be kind of tweaked to work into the new deck of the Classic Five. We'll, we'll see. I, yeah, I'm working on a new deck, by the way. Who are you? I'm known to the police and the FBI as the Crimson Ghost. <laughs> Under my influence, you will relinquish your willpower and become my slave. What's up, Chambers? Now, there is one more email from another Paul. This is the Paul from Australia. He wrote in a couple of weeks ago, and, well, he wrote again. Good day, Derek. I just wanted to talk about a couple of points you raised. You're right about drive-ins being a big part of life down here, as they were in the States, especially so in the town where I grew up. When I was 13 years old... Our family moved to an iron ore mining town up in the northwest of Western Australia called Port Headland. For many years, the only venue available to us for watching movies was the local drive-in. To this day, I cannot properly enjoy a movie while sitting in the local multiplex. It's just not the same without the sound emanating from a crackly old speaker hanging from the car window. The voices of parents and kids sitting outside their cars on folding chairs or blankets, the crunch of the car tires on gravel as a vehicle pulls into the spot next to where you're parked, and the smell of hamburgers wafting up from the food kiosk. Okay, I'm going to stop the email here because you just painted an amazing picture. It makes me regret having not spent more time at the drive-in here this past year, even the year before that. Man, that's it. That's the experience. That's, no, that's perfection right there, man. Anyway, back to the email. You're definitely correct also about the practice of releasing what in America were just TV movies as theatrical and drive-in features both down here and in Europe. I saw many good features at the drive-in over the years, but when trying to track down video releases later on, I was unable to locate them, as I hadn't realized that the film I'd enjoyed was mere TV fodder, and not normally something that would be released on video, certainly not over here anyway. Virtually all of the major Monster Kid movies released throughout the 70s and 80s, I saw at the drive-in. The first three Star Wars, the first five Star Treks, all three Back to the Futures, all four Aliens, all five Planet of the Ape films, of course, Close Encounters, etc., etc. In fact, in those hideous days before the advent of home video, the only way to own a copy of these films was on cassette tape, and that's exactly what I did. Took my cassette recorder along to the drive-in and recorded the soundtrack directly from the window speaker. I still have all the cassettes I recorded in this manner. They brought me so much pleasure, I could never bear to part with them. Whoa. Have you tried listening to the cassettes? I mean, have they been transferred to digital? That just sounds amazing. Anyway, back to the email. I keep interrupting him. I'm sorry, Paul. Let me go back to your email. Another problem with living in such a remote location was the access to television. When we moved up there in 1973, the town had only started to receive broadcasts from the Australian National Station the ABC, similar to your PBS, just two weeks prior to our arrival. We didn't actually get a commercial station up there until the OzSat satellite was launched in 1987. Therefore, all those classic old science fiction and horror movies that we love, I never got to see, as the ABC very rarely broadcast anything of that nature. All I knew about them was what I'd garnered from reading and rereading my much-loved and treasured copies of Famous Monsters of Filmland, Starlog, Fantastic Films, and any other magazines and books that I could find that covered the subject. 
99% of those classics I didn't actually get to see until a mere seven years ago when I purchased my first computer, discovered the wonders of Amazon.com, and started ordering DVDs like crazy from the States. It was a fortuitous time also as the dollar exchange rate between Australia and the U.S. was very much in our favor, virtually dollar for dollar, as usually it hovers around the 75-cent mark, as it has returned to these days. Postage rates were very favorable to us at the time also. That's certainly not the case these days. It's utterly ridiculous, the postage charges from the states were expecting to accept. Not long ago, I wanted to order a secondhand book from Amazon that was advertised at a sale price of only three cents, but they wanted $35 for postage? So spare a thought for your monster kid cousins across the pond. But at least with being able to purchase all these DVDs, I finally had the chance to watch and enjoy so many of the classic treasures that I've been reading about for decades, but never been able to see until now. Talk about your binge watch heaven. Now, as I mentioned in my letter, Monster Kid Radio is one of a number of podcasts to which I regularly listen. Another favorite of mine is the one from your good friend Joe Stuber, Comic Book Central. Well, then you're in for a treat because I've got him on the show this week. Anyway, it's a lot of fun also and is highly recommended. Another one with which some of your listeners may be familiar is Gilbert Gottfried's amazing colossal podcast devoted to interviewing actors and others connected with the golden age of film and television. Gilbert Gottfried is a big fan of the classic Universal Monsters, especially anything featuring Lon Chaney Jr., of whom Gilbert is a big follower. He even owns life masks of some of the Universal Horror stars. I want to finish the email, but I'll make a comment on that here at the end. Anyway, as to the subject for me donating my collection to the university, when I pass, I couldn't bear to see it all broken up and sold off piecemeal. I've spent too many hours scouring secondhand bookshops, searching out this stuff one book at a time to see it scattered. Not that it hasn't been fun. I've spent many a happy hour down on my knees, pulling out dusty cardboard boxes from under shelves and cabinets, flicking through pile after pile after pile of books, magazines, and comics, searching for that elusive treasure. Life for a collector is so much easier today with the advent of Amazon and eBay, but not nearly as much fun or as personally rewarding. My friend Michael and I often joke about a peculiar phenomenon that we dubbed collector's rash. Well, what's collector's rash, you ask? Ever spend a fruitful day out shopping for books and DVDs? The shops that sell them to you load your finds into plastic bags, and after a day of lugging around those fully loaded bags, when you reach home and finally put them down, you have across the palm of your hands a deeply etched red mark caused by the plastic carrier bag handles digging into your palms. Viola, collector's rash. Yeah. I get that, too. Anyway, finally, you mentioned on an episode of the podcast that you were the proud owner of an actual piece of memorabilia from the legendary collection of Forrest J. Ackerman. I'm so envious. I never got to visit the Acker Mansion. I've only been lucky enough to visit the U.S. once back in 1994. While in L.A., I rang the Acker Mansion to see if it'd be possible to pay a visit to that legendary location, but alas, it was not to be. Forrest's assistant answered the phone, and to my eternal chagrin, informed me that Uncle Forrey was attending a convention in Chicago and that it would not be possible to take a tour of the Acker Mansion. At that time. Oh, well, at least I tried. Sorry to have gotten a bit long-winded with this email, but I just wanted to get everything down while it was all fresh in my mind. I know you have much more important things to be getting on with. There are Monster Kid Mansion, so I will take my leave. All the best for your future success with the podcast. Paul, this is a great email. All good. And... What more important things do I have to do? Just editing the show? Come on. Anyway, Gilbert Gottfried's podcast... I do subscribe. I don't listen to every single episode, but whenever he brings in a guest that is relevant, especially to the Monster Kid stuff, in Halloween, in Halloween, as if that's a month, in October, he does tend to do more of the classic horror. He has had Sarah Karloff on the show. Bela Lugosi Jr. has been on the show. Whenever he brings in a, a Monster Kid that's done good, like Joe Dante or something like that, I certainly make it a point to listen I asked for those lobby cards that I picked up for the movie Voodoo Island. I do want to talk about that movie here on the show when I finally get around to watching it. 
I need to contact the person that I bought it from uh, to get some sort of, I don't know, provenance or something. Because right now all I have is the eBay listing saying that they were part of the Acker Mansion collection. And I know his estate was uh, auctioned off piecemeal, unfortunately, uh, when he passed. Or at least parts of it were. I, I I assume all of it was. I'm not 100% sure. I wasn't necessarily in the market uh, for anything really at the time when I stumbled across it, but they were affordable. I nabbed them. I need to frame them. And like I said, I need to watch the movie. I never got a chance to meet the man. I did send him a letter when his health was declining, but that's about it. I never really had any real interaction with him. I've watched documentaries. I've seen interviews and the man just seemed amazing. And I had a love for this stuff and definitely uncle for is what we should be calling him. It's our pleasure to welcome you to your friendly drive-in theater. For the information of those who are attending the drive-in for the first time, the following hints will make you feel at home and add to your enjoyment. Firstly, if you've not already done so, remove the speaker from the stand and place it in your car. Secondly, adjust the volume control to suit your requirements. Right for loud, left for soft. We must issue this warning. No attempt should be made to disconnect the speaker. To do so, we'll immediately register a red light in our control room. Our ultra-modern snack bar is now open and ready to serve you. How about fresh fillets of fish with chips and salad? Tender steak with eggs, chips and salad. A big cup of hot chips or fish and chips. Thick, crunchy hamburger. Giant-sized hot dogs laced with sauce or mustard. Banana fritters with rich, full cream. Steaming hot coffee. Icy orange or lemon drink. Smooth, creamy ice cream. And a great range of sweets and chocolates. Our snack bar is open for service. One final word. Before leaving, replace the speaker on its stand, then drive forward and move to your left. You must never reverse out of your position. Thanks, everyone. We trust you have a very pleasant evening. All right, you mentioned Comic Book Central, Joe Stuber. He is the man. He is on the episode this week to talk about the movie Mad Monster Party. I've made everybody wait long enough. Why don't we get to that conversation about the movie with Joe right after this? drama that shocks you with hair-raising horror. Not one word is spoken on the screen. The strangest motion picture you have ever seen. Daughter of Horror. It's coming. The world's craziest fun and fright show, The 
but Lemon Grove kids meet the monster. It's so scary, so crazy, we dare you to see it. We dare you to see the Lemon Grove kids meet the monsters. The screen's funniest and wildest teenagers in the craziest fun and fright show you've ever seen. Weird and frightening movie monsters. Not only on the screen, but in the audience, alive and in person. See the horrifying mad mummy come to life and go into the audience to get you. We warn you, don't come if you're chicken. This show is not for sissies. If you're not afraid, be sure to see the world's craziest fun and fright show, The Lemon Grove Kids Meet the Monster. A thousand and one laughs, thrills, and chills. Widescreen and Eastman Color. This is Count Dracula, and I'm here to offer you a friendly warning. Derek and his guests often get excited, and occasionally this results in revealing key plot points of the movies they're discussing. You know how the children of the night, ah, I mean monster kids, can get sometimes. So consider yourself warned, and don't come begging to me to kill them for their transgressions afterward. I have more pressing issues to take care of, like that pesky Van Helsing. I want to welcome back to the show uh, a dear friend. But I don't think he's been on Monster Kid Radio in a while. I was talking with my wife the other day. I think it's been over a year, hasn't it? Joe Stuber, welcome back to Monster Kid Radio. Hey, thanks for having me back. Glad to be here. I don't think it's been a full year. I checked. Um, I think it's like a half a year. But oh, okay. it may have seemed okay. like a full year just because of the longing of the heart. I was going to say, you know, all that time <laughs> apart just feels, yeah. <laughs> I think I think we got together last summer for Superman, if I'm not mistaken. Or has it been, it was like June or July or something like that. Who knows? It's been too long. It's been way too long, line. regardless. Yeah, that's the thing. So, yeah. So, how you been? And by the way, congrats, congrats, post congrats, belated congrats on 300. Well, I congratulated you on Facebook, but proper here on the show. Congrats on 300. Thanks, man. I really appreciate it. Couldn't have done it without you and everybody else. So, thank you. Yeah, no worries. I'm glad you have me on and glad you have everyone else on. And uh, yeah, that's a lot of episodes. I don't think people that listen in, podcasters know, but it, that's a lot of work. I mean, it's a lot of talking. It's a lot of research. It's a lot of editing. It's a lot of music. It's a lot of <laughs> calling people and scheduling. And uh, man, so that good on you for getting that many episodes out So and enjoying them. Well, thank you, sir. And uh, like I said, in episode 300 itself, some of my favorite memories involving Monster Kid Radio have to do with Monster Bash. And I can't think about what happened at Monster Bash without thinking about you, because you made it possible for me to sit in on that interview with Joel, with Beverly. I mean, it was just fantastic. So thank you. Oh, you're welcome. And tell you, I talk about you know, too long in between things. Man, that's – is that 2014 yeah. since then? So yeah. Like, oh, my goodness. Yeah, I haven't been back either. So – I, yeah, I think that needs to change at some point. We need to get back to some scary goodness. You know, the cool thing. Oh, and you know, we got we got to say, our, you know, our our dear friend that we met there. You know, from the Avon Costello tribute show, um, yeah. Joe Ziegler. Uh, I think you know we we talk about him too, and uh, we we lost him last year. Boy, I mean, just lost so many greats. But that was somebody that we had met who sort of brought that. You know, you and I got together through the Avon Costello. Uh, reviews. We did all the monster movies. And so mm-hmm. that was kind of a special moment at Monster Bash, too, of just seeing that character brought to life with Evan Costello meet Frankenstein. They were you know, we had the, the, the movie and we had the tribute show. So 
you know, thinking back on him as well, that was a special memory from Monster Bash too, of just sort of uh, bringing mm-hmm. Evan Costello to life. So, yeah, a lot of good memories, a lot of good memories that we go through here and just really enjoy talking to you about these things too. So it's, it's fun. It's fun. We enjoy it. Well, even though I haven't had you on the show, you've been in my ears because Joe, listeners, he's the man behind Comic Book Central over at comicbookcentral.net. We'll talk about it some more in the end to make sure listeners know how they can hear you. But, man, you've been knocking it out of the park as well. Last year was an amazing run for you. Oh, thanks. Uh, I got to tell you, my, my absolute favorite episode from last year was your Nana Visitor episode. Oh, yeah. Star, well, we did a lot of Star Trek. <laughs> yeah, you did. Well, and rightly so. I mean, Star Trek, 50 years. And I had a huge crush on Nana. <laughs> During her Deep Space Nine run. Am I saying it right? Is it Nina or Nana? I always get it wrong. Not, not a visitor. Yeah, I think because I, I, used Nana, to, I think original, like a couple of years ago, I referenced her. I think I said Nana, and then um, you talk to individuals that work for her and you start doing some research, but it's Nana. Yeah, uh, Nana Visitor. Yeah, she was fantastic. And, and it's, yes. I think that's kind of like the forgotten trek almost. It's cool now because I think it's still on Netflix. But you go back, and I think that might be the one that holds up the most. You know, I was talking about this with uh, Scott Morris a while back, that when it comes to post-original series Star Trek, as much as I love, like, Next Gen, I feel like it doesn't hold up as well, that it hasn't aged as well. Yeah. Either because of the production value or, or something, just it feels older. And I feel like DS9 and Enterprise, specifically, are the two that have aged the best. Yeah. Um, I think so. because, well, I think Next Gen was, I mean, it was so amazing for what it was and it was really science fiction-y and it was really special effects driven for a lot for and you had the Borg and you had all these crazy things whereas I think Deep Space Nine took a more practical approach it was more like the sort of down and dirty gritty characterizations and conflict well, I guess what do they call them bottle episodes too where you see yeah, like, yeah, where, they run out of mo- yeah. Yeah, where they run out of money and it's just like they have to kind of come up with things and a lot of them are take place on one set so it's like these character studies and a lot of them are almost like small theater plays, you know, and a lot of the messages and a lot of the issues are relevant to things that are going on today. So we, I think it holds up a little bit more. I'm having fun going back and rewatching Deep Space Nine. I, like I said, I think it was the Forgotten Trek, but I don't think it's going to stay that way for long. I think people are going back and new generations are, are going back and checking out. So, yeah, that was mm-hmm. a fun one, too. And uh, Rene Aubergenois, you know, our on-screen partner there, <laughs> he was fun. Got to meet him uh, at a convention last year, Terrific Con, so. Yeah, really cool stuff. So thanks. I, I appreciate that. Yeah, no, it's, a, it's a blast. And I could talk Trek for hours. <laughs> you do talk to well, you do talk Trek on, uh, you know, you're working Trek and into the show, too. So, yeah, I think all worlds lead to Trek <laughs> at some point. <laughs> there's like this convergence of whether it's comic books or something or heroes or whatever. Mm-hmm. All roads mm-hmm. lead to Trek. And uh, how many actors, how many shows, how many things that cross over into other worlds too? So, well, it's funny. I was actually uh, I was reading Mark Cushman's book because of the end of the voyages. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. The season by season breakdown of the series, and I'm reading that, and I stumbled across something in there that made my my head just explode because for years I've always said that Creature from the Black Lagoon is the Kevin Bacon of monster movies. <laughs> oh, that was the convergence. You, you can always connect something to Creature, whether for an actor or an actress, somebody who's married to somebody. Apparently a cinematographer on Creature from the Black Lagoon was involved with one of the early episodes of Star Trek as a cinematographer as well, so I got my connection there. It's like, yes, I can connect Star Trek to Creature. I'm in. Yeah, well, there you go. And that's <laughs> you look at the credits on the original Star Trek and all the writer. I just interviewed uh, Stephen Kendall, who's who's uh, just about to turn 90. Uh, he was he created Harry Mudd. You know, all those writers that were on there, those great science fiction writers and ones that have worked on – like you look at their resume. It's not only Star Trek, but it's like Batman. It's Wonder Woman. It's all these different things and they just cross over into all these different things, especially in the 60s because they were all just like 
going mm-hmm. from one series to the next. Right, yeah. The TV landscape was amazing back then, if you look at it. And I mean, just looking at Desilu, too, I mean, there's another big program that was being produced at Desilu at the same time that was Mission Impossible, and that's become a huge thing. Mannix, you had all these guys working on the same thing. Yeah, and all these great, uh, great stories. So, yeah, cool stuff. Uh, yeah, Stephen was, I mean, he's, like I said, he's almost 90, and he just remembers things like they were yesterday, too. So That's fantastic. Um, yeah, it's fun. It's fun revisiting Star Trek. Uh, that It won't be the last... I, I revisit on Comic Book Central. That I can assure you. <laughs> Excellent! I can't wait. Can't wait. Not not that I don't listen anyway, but I can't wait. Yeah, good stuff coming. Yeah, there's. We'll, we'll talk about that. But uh, yeah, good stuff coming on uh, Monster Kid Radio, and good stuff coming on Comic Book Central. So, uh, welcome to the Star Trek podcast. Now we're going to shift gears. <laughs> <laughs> we we do tend to deviate from the from time to time, but you know what? It's just all under the umbrella of nerd stuff. <laughs> just love nerd stuff. So if you love nerd stuff. You're in the right place. Well, welcome home, ladies and gentlemen and okay. nerds. Here we go. So I wanted to get Joe back on the show. Now, like he said earlier, we talked about the Abbott and Costello movies, and then we ran out of Abbott and Costello monster spooky type movies. Yeah. Although there is that one, was it Time of Our Lives, where one's a ghost? He's a ghost, all right, a relic from revolutionary days, chained to the manor by a ghostly curse. And when, in our day and age, the manor is restored and some perfectly modern people move in, what can the poor ghost do? I'm going to haunt him. That's what I'm going to do. <laughs> Emily, when you first came in here, did you or did you not kick me? felt something, eh? Uh, I, uh... I thought so. It's you they're after. Identify yourselves. Cuthbert Greenway, you know who I am. I'm Horatio Prim, the little tinker, and this is Melody Allen. We were on our way to warn General Washington about Benedict Arnold. Horatio, and then, Horatio. I mean, but I got to... Don't be silly. Don't you realize they can't hear us? Thank you, Dr. Greenway. Thank you. Millie! Yeah, 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 because they're, they're not together. Yeah, so it's a cool one. It's, it's one of my faves. So at some point, maybe we'll take a look at that. And then we did the Superman movie. Not not the Superman movie, but the, you know, moment. <laughs> you, you know, a, not the Christopher Reeve, but yeah. The original Superman feature film. There you go. We did. That's good. Yeah, Superman the moment. And then Joe, Joe reaches out to me a while back and says, well, what about this one? I'm like, you know, I, I haven't talked about this in a while. I did podcast about this years ago on my old zombie podcast, Mad Monster Party from 1967. Mad Monster Party! Starring Boris Karloff and, in order of their appearance, Dracula, Frankenstein, the werewolf, the hunchback, the mummy, Dr. Jekyll, and, in order of his disappearance, the invisible man. Also starring Phyllis Diller as the hostess with the least. Ah, 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 ah. Mad Monster Party! 
first song. Honey, let's dance. <laughs> it's a come-as-you-are party that's out of this world. You don't get invited. You get committed. It's a psychedelic scary. To meet the grooviest ghouls of all time. Mad Monster Party! Punch? Anyone? It's a blast. Yeah. This one, I'm going to be in full disclosure, this was off my radar completely. Going back, because it's been a little while since I, I touched base with you about it, but I'm, I'm not even remembering like how this got on my radar, but like I've never seen it before. And I'm looking at these different things. And it's like, it's all the monsters and Boris Karloff. Yeah. I'm like, how did I not know about this? Yep. And where has this been all my life? And where can I get it? And, and fortunately, it was on DVD. So It was off my radar, too, for a long time. Like I said, I talked about it once before on a previous show. Before then, I'd never seen it. I knew what it was. I just hadn't gotten around to checking it out. And uh, full disclosure for me, when I reviewed it back then, I didn't like it. I thought it was long and dull, but I've watched it repeatedly since. I've upgraded my DVD to the Blu-ray. I love this thing. Yeah, and you mentioned the length of it, um, and that's something we can talk about. That was certainly a concern, I think, of the producers mm-hmm. yeah. as well going into it. I get both sides of that argument. We can we can kind of debate this and see where we both land on it. It's interesting, but it, it is a feature. It was released as a feature. You got your stop-motion animation. You got, you got all kinds of cool stuff. You got tons of monsters, so there you go. Yeah, I, I love it now. And I, I caught a little bit of flack when I said, man, I didn't like it so much because, I mean, come on, it's Boris Karloff with some monsters. But yeah. I, I get that criticism, and I don't know if I was just not in the right headspace when I first saw it. But like I said, I've watched it a couple of times over the years now, and – Every time I watch it, I find little things here and there. It's like, oh, okay, I like – yeah, I didn't notice that before. You know, it's just I really dig the heck out of this thing. Yeah, and I think too with the the DVD and the Blu-ray, yes. you get the the extras. So you get to like these – like the making ofs and things like that and some, some history. So you kind of see what goes into it too. And so some of those jokes that you might not have caught the first time around, you might pick them up. You know, when you watch these things or like even those injuries. And I'm like a huge Mad Magazine fan. And I'm talking like, you know, 60s, 70s Mad Magazine. So there's a lot of influence there, too, especially in the look of the monsters. Yeah, I was thinking that's probably your hook, right? That, that's the connection between this and maybe Comic Book Central because you've got the, the mad comic art. Yeah, it's very comic booky uh, kind of looking thing. And there was even a, a Mad Monster Party comic book. Mm-hmm. Uh, by Dell that came out at the time too, which I wasn't aware of. Does we checked it? Does get a little pricey on eBay when you're looking for it? But it's out there. I mean, there was one in 1967, obviously, but there was also one 1999 uh, that came mm-hmm. out. That was published by Black Bear Press. Uh, so there's a couple different comic books out. So yeah, it's a very comic booky kind of feel to it. Yeah, I think that might be why I gravitated toward it. I love animated movies. I love stop-motion animation. I love mm-hmm. cartoons. <laughs> I love Boris Karloff. Yeah. So, yeah, this one kind of like fell into a lot of different areas for me that I was like, I got to check this out. I'm glad I did. Yeah, so we mentioned Mad Magazine. Do we want to go ahead and, and mention that connection right here? It's Jack Davis. Yeah. If you kind of know the look of Mad Magazine from the 60s and 70s, you know Jack Davis. He sort of came up with the. He didn't sort of. He came up with the look for the creatures that we see in the movies. The in the movie, the the models that they use for the stop motion animation. And they're unique, but they're still familiar. 
So you, mm-hmm. you can tell immediately who they are when you look at them. That's obvious. You know, there's Dracula, there's a Frankenstein's monster, which is actually called something else, and we can talk about that too. But yeah. they also have a unique look. They're, they're so iconic almost. I actually found online somewhere, and man, I wish I could find it again. It's one of those things where you stumble across, it's like, I'm going to come back to that later, and then you, you never find it again. Somebody took one of the original Frankenstein. You got a bookmark. You got a bookmark. Yeah, I know, right? Control <laughs> D, Derek. Come on. <laughs> that, or I, I always send myself an email. Like every If I can't read something right then, yeah. I send everything in an email. Doesn't mean I'm necessarily going to go back and read the email, but <laughs> right, right. Well, somebody had taken the one of the original Frankenstein movie posters and did some Photoshop on it and changed out Boris Karloff's face with the head from the Frankenstein monster from this. Put the Phyllis Diller character in there and the Boris Karloff doctor character into the movie poster. It just looked really cool. Oh, cool! It was just a Frankenstein style poster, but using these monsters instead. And just I really liked that. Like that's that's pretty neat, you know. And and. They're iconic characters. I believe there are some statues, not necessarily action figures, but some like vinyl figures out there. I never got that far in the research. I know a while back they had talked about. I read an article that said they were coming out with something. I don't. I didn't mm-hmm. look further to see if they had actually come out with them. So if any of the listeners know about it, I'd love to check out. I'm seeing a couple on Amazon right now. They did put out like a four pack of. Let's see. There's the Wolfman, the monster. Is that a random zombie and then Dracula? Do I hear you reaching for your credit card? Is that the noise that I'm hearing right now? Uh, uh, yeah, you know, stop there. I said I couldn't look at eBay. I can't look at Amazon either. Yeah, I got to stop. It's, you can't do it. See, that? This like the second you do something like that, it's like, I got to get that. Look, it's free shipping on something, you know. If I just order three more things, I can get free shipping. If I were to order anything having to do with this movie, though, and it'd be the book. There's a really cool reference book uh, just called Rankin and Bass's Mad Monster Party. It's by Rick Goldschmidt. I would love to get my hands on it. Uh, it. It sells for over 60 bucks, so that's why I don't have it yet. But I would love to get my hands on it. It looks like it's got some great art, some great material in there. It's Something I, always, I mentioned uh, last week on Comic Book Central, too. Um, well, depending on when you listen to this, it might be a few weeks ago. But um, I always say, you know, like, check out your local library, too. So if there's something that comes up, I found DVDs, like out-of-print DVDs from the old Batman TV series, and, you know, mm-hmm. like original documentaries and things like that. I found them at the local library. You just go and get them free. So sometimes if, if something is, you know, a little high-priced, out-of-print, you know, a little bit out of your price range on things, just, hey, check out your local library. It might be there. But don't go to eBay because you're going to find it. <laughs> You'll definitely find it on eBay. Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> and that credit card will definitely come out. And yes. yeah, then you're going to have to probably explain it to your significant other as to why you're buying things again. <laughs> I think what I need to do is just forget my PayPal password. I think that's what I need to do. <laughs> just if you're listening right now, have your significant other change your password <laughs> and not tell you what it is. That's a good way to get around that. There you go. And back to Jack Davis. So like I said, the artwork is just amazing. Uh, we lost him last year, didn't we? Unfortunately. Yeah, yeah, we did. What a career behind him and what a legacy he's left behind too. And that, I think that is one of the reasons I really like this film is that it is kind of like Mad Magazine did a version of this and it came to life. Yeah. Cool. And like even when you're looking at the, the comic book uh, from Dell, he didn't do the artwork in the comic book, but it's based on those designs. Uh, so you kind of get a little bit of that in the comic book feel too. So it does have sort of a Mad Magazine Jack Davis coming to life quality to it. It does, especially some of the scenes that kind of stitch longer scenes together. The, the little, I guess you could call them sketches. Yeah. You know, where Dr. Jekyll's trying to sleep and the creature's spitting water at him. I mean, just these little moments <laughs> that would be a perfect, like, newspaper strip. Yeah. Yeah. Because, yeah, you get this, like, these in jokes. There's very visual, a lot of visual gags throughout this. Well, I mean, as you would expect from a Rankin and Bass production, 
uh, that's you know stop motion animation. There's a lot of little things going on. A lot of good humor in this. Yes. Uh, well, what would you expect? I mean, you've got Phyllis Diller in it too, so there's go there's going to be some humor coming into play. Which is probably one of the reasons why I didn't like it the first time I saw it was I felt like she was just way too much. But then I didn't oh. know much about her. Okay, that's that's know? a huge thing because I guess if you aren't typically a Phyllis Diller fan, which I was. I mean, I'm. Look, I grew up on Match Game. I grew up on all those variety oh, shows. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know I mean? So mm-hmm. Phyllis Diller was like always around. And I just loved her comedy. You know, I loved her look. I loved the fact that she made fun of her look. I loved the fact, you know, and sure. she, you know, she would work her husband into her act, which became part of Mad Monster Party as well. We'll be right. talking about that. Um, so I was a huge Phyllis Diller fan. So knowing that she was in this, I'm like, awesome. But if you're not a Phyllis Diller fan, She's in it a lot, so I will, <laughs> I will tell you that. She is in it a lot. Um, I've warmed up to it, though. I, like I said, okay. I, I love this movie now, so there's there's no no reservation here. This is one of my favorite Halloween-style movies. I can put put it in any Halloween. Well, heck, I can put it in any day. So, you know, I don't think yeah. it's, it's Halloween 365 around here, so. Well, that's the thing. I think this is sort of referenced as like a Halloween because Rankin and Bass are all, you know, known for their Christmas movies, you know, Rudolph and Frosty and all those things. Um, and I think this one – People assume is oh well here was their Halloween version of something, but this didn't even come out. Uh, if I remember, I don't even think it came out anywhere near Halloween, did it? I think it was like over the summer or something like that. It was just you know, it intended to be released, um, but I don't think it came out like in October or late October. No, it came out in Halloween. March. Oh, okay, there you go. Yeah. yeah. So so for spring, um, <laughs> <laughs> it's like scary spring coming at you. Yeah. Which again, perfect for me. Whatever you know, March, July, yeah. April. And August, I think even on the, yeah. any any time of year, yeah, really? that's the thing. It's it, it you know quality and humor. It's good all year round. But I think even when it came out, if you look at the one sheet poster, uh, I think it even mentions on there Saturday Sunday matinee only. This was released straight to the kitty market. I don't even think there were like you know primetime viewing opportunities for this. It was for matinees for kids. I don't know. I'd be interested to, to research that a little bit more and see. Yeah, if you check out the one sheet, there's there's it kind of goes back to you do a little digging too. I think Frank Rosetta may have had done some original. Some work, some rough. I saw some of that too, which would be, yeah, wow. <laughs> yeah, so that's good. But if you look in the bottom right hand corner, it's like Saturday, Sunday, matinee only. Um, so this was definitely targeted straight for kids. But and I think that was the thing at the time. It was just, it wasn't well received at the time. It was like sort of like thrown in theaters and look, let's get this out there. And not too much was thought about, but it sort of achieved this cult status over the years. It, you know, I think you see things now. And you're like, oh, this has always been a success. You know, you think of you know different movies like you know even It's a Wonderful Life, classic film. But when it came out, it bombed. The only reason it's as popular as it is now is you know, it fell in the public domain for a while, so everybody got to see it and then realized ran it over and over and over again. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, some of those things we look back now is like, oh, this must have always been successful. No, not so much. Not all the time. Uh, this mm-hmm. one definitely. Well, maybe people like you that weren't Phyllis Diller fans, <laughs> the little kids sitting there going, why does it sound like that? Yeah. <laughs> Who is Fang? I don't know. Who is Fang? Why are they calling Frankenstein Fang? I don't get it. I didn't get it when the first time I saw it, me knowing now. Exactly. Yeah. Well, unless you're a little kid and know her stage act, which oddly enough, I did. That was the strange thing. How do, how do I as a little kid know Phyllis Diller's stage act? But I did. Uh, probably, she's probably on like Merv Griffin like every week. That's probably on. Uh, mm, okay. Watched a lot of Merv Griffin when I was a kid. <laughs> Fang is what she called her husband in her stage act. So for her to call, she's the mate, Frankenstein's mate in this, yeah. and refers to Frankenstein as Fang as opposed to Frankenstein. Some of the things that I read seem to imply that Rankin Bass did not want to call him Frankenstein's monster because they thought of there's a copyright issue. But my understanding is that 
Frankenstein was in the public domain at that point. They probably could have gotten away with calling him Frankenstein, but Fang works. Fang just works. Yeah, because, I mean, I think it just sort of gives that character a unique aspect to it, too. Um, and, of course, you bring the Phyllis Diller thing into it. Um, but it does change the thing out because it's not just straight up like here's Dr. Frankenstein. Here's Frankenstein's monster. And here's it. You know, they all have sort of this unique aspect to it. Even it has a unique aspect to it. You know, all these different things that they brought in. So Now, it they had to call it because of copyright. They couldn't have gotten away with that. See, that's the strange thing. I mean, do, OK, do we do we go to that already or do we save that? Do we save it <laughs> conversation for later? Because, yeah, I always kind of wonder about these copyright things. But I think Rankin and Bass had a copyright for a version of it. Yeah, because weren't they involved in the Toho yeah. King Kong movie? Oops. The animated. Oops, Spoiler. I guess we gave it away. Spoiler, Spoiler alert. Yeah, because <laughs> yeah, they were involved with the animated as well as the King Kong Escapes film. The fantastic duel of the century, the most ferocious battle in history. The flesh and blood King Kong fights his most incredible enemy, a 60-foot robot King Kong forged of super steel. King Kong escapes. All new, all thrilling in Technicolor. King Kong battles missiles, monsters, and a King Kong of steel. King Kong escapes. A Toho Company limited picture, a universal release. Exactly, and that's a, th- a strange thing to me because, and I don't, you know, I don't know if you had a chance to to check out the comic book version of it from Dell, but it is uh, closer to Creature from the Black Lagoon in the comic book. It's not King Kong. Yeah. It's not a gorilla, even though they include a joke, you know, where it comes out of the sea and Felix makes a joke about, "Hey, may I get you a banana or something?" Right. That doesn't make any sense in the comic book when you're looking at it because it's like this, you know, gill creature that comes out. It's not King Kong. So that's the strange thing. I don't know which copyright they had, if they had it for the King Kong, but not for Mad Monster Party. They had to call him It. They definitely didn't have something for the comic book. Dell didn't because right. it's completely different in there. But they kept the scripting joke. So very strange. Yeah, copyrights, very strange with King Kong back then. Yeah, and I said before I could nerd out about copyright for hours as well. So <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna put that copyright nerd away and this bring is the not the copyright back out. podcast. <laughs> there are a couple podcasts that cover that that I listen to. So that's how bad it is. Anyway, copyright kid away, monster kid back. All right. Got it. <laughs> Got it. But it is for for our intents and purposes, it's King Kong. He's out there, so we we know it's King Kong. So he's pretty cool. So yeah, that's who it is. So you've got a greatest hits of monsters in this. We've talked about Frankenstein. There's a Bride of Frankenstein style character with Phyllis Diller. You got Dracula. You got a wolf. They don't call him Wolfman. They call him the Werewolf. Which Were- Wolfman would saying the Wolfman would have been copyrighted because of Universal owning that character. You've got a creature. You've got Doctor Jekyll, Mister Hyde. You've got the Hunchback. Which they call the Hunchback. They were afraid of using Quasimodo. Again, same thing. They thought it was copyrighted, but it really wasn't. Am I missing him? Oh, the Invisible Man. The Invisible Man. Yeah. So, yeah, you, you kind of look at these things and it's like the ones that were, what, from literature or maybe in the public domain or something, they could use those. But if it was mm-hmm. a universal take on it, they can't use the name. Yeah. So, but we know who they are. Yeah, we know. You, you, we know. The, the mummy's kind of a generic mummy, but so what? You know, and, and I love my mummies. I love my mummy stuff. So, you got, you got a mummy and you got a whole musical number. Yeah. the mummy, which made me very happy. It's basically a musical. I mean, it really when you, is. Yeah, I mean, there's. They, I think they even released a soundtrack, a CD soundtrack for this too, didn't they? They did. I own it. <laughs> hey, well, there you go. Yeah, <laughs> you're probably listening to it in the background. <laughs> um, and pretty good soundtrack too. I mean, and it's a it's a very jazzy score. Is it? Uh, see if I get this right. Is it Maury Laws and Jules Bass? Mm-hmm. Okay. So Maury Laws was a musician, and Bass did some of the lyrical work. 
like would suggest lyrics from what yeah. I understand. If you get the DVD or Blu-ray, you watch the behind the scenes. There's a whole documentary part on just the music. Uh, mm-hmm. There's sing-alongs too, I think, if, I'm, if I remember correctly. Like they have some <laughs> of the sing-alongs with the lyrics and you can sing along with Phyllis Diller if you like. <laughs> Who wouldn't like, want that? Yeah, I love the soundtrack. I love the way it starts. And then the opening title sequence. And they talk about this in that little documentary short. The yeah. way the opening song was done. The first time I saw it, I didn't get it. But then having it pointed out to me. Yeah, of course they were going for a James Bond thing. Yeah, oh yeah. I mean, it feels very Goldfinger esque by design. I loved it. Exactly. I mean, think about the date that we're talking about. This is mm-hmm. 1967. So there's so much going on there. Well, I mean, you think about the the three Bs: Beatles, Batman, and Bond. That <laughs> defined that era right mm-hmm. then. Those are all coming into play here. You think about the big fight scene, and it just—it's very reminiscent of the Batman TV show. Well, even during the titles, they have a little zap and the zap and the pop. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Those things are coming in. Um, as you mentioned, Bond Goldfinger. It's a very. Uh, was it Ethel Ennis? Yes. Uh, singing mm-hmm. the title track. Yeah, it's it opens like a Bond movie. The Beatles, you know, the band and the party, you know. Tibula and the Little Fibulas, I think is the name of the band or something like that. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So all those things. So if you love that era, if you love like mid-late 60s, this is it, man. This is – you've got the Mad Monster Party. You've got the mm-hmm. three Bs going on here. Yeah, it's it's very cool. I really enjoyed that. Yeah, just having that that aesthetic. It just runs through it. You've got the monster stuff. You've got the 60s. It's a wonderful mix. And it's one of those things, too, where we always love, uh, you know, like animated films for kids. You know, we said it's released for matinees. But there's so many, like, in-jokes for adults watching it, too. Kind of like the Looney Tunes thing. Sure. We talked about how, like, Fang. Okay, well, we know that's from Phyllis Diller's stage act. An adult is going to get that. Or a kid who watches Law and Merv Griffin. Um, but even, like, <laughs> at the beginning, like, around the Invisible Man's place, are those, like, liquor bottles and beer cans I see all over the place? <laughs> <laughs> it's a different time, man. Different time. <laughs> I love that. I'm like, that is so cool to see that like in a kitty film. Well, and look at how Francesca is built. Well. I mean, come on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But, but didn't they um, do that in all like the old Looney Tunes and you know well, when that's they would draw true. you know the, draw these like these buxom ladies coming out and everything and and look that's Mad Magazine. That's true. That's true. That's Mad Magazine right there. That is definitely Jack Davis. Uh, coming mm-hmm. into play right there. So absolutely, absolutely. This is set squarely in that time. Yeah, you're not going to see too many of that in in animated films today. <laughs> Probably not. I grew up watching like Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer and some of the lesser known ones like Rudolph's Shiny New Year. And wasn't there a Fourth of July one? And, you know, I grew up watching a lot of oh, these. I think they so, did hit some of the hol- yeah. like the off Christmas holidays. I think they did hit a few of those. That sort of became like their forte. Yeah. Yeah, I remember like one of them had like the the reindeer that Rudolph replaced named Scratchy or something like that. And, yeah, anyway. Were um, they digging deep? Were they, they digging deep into the mythos on that one? <laughs> or making their own up. Um, I, I mean, I love that stuff growing up and I would watch it every year. But this is the only Rankin Bass stop motion movie that I have in my permanent movie collection. Oh, okay. You know, well, and I can that go back because you're, yeah. the, you're the monster kid. So, yeah, yeah that would make sense. You know, I just I just love the the design, the style, the stop motion just blows my mind. Did you watch the short little bit about how they did the stop motion? Yeah, I did. The two animators and like the the tedious process of kind of going through this and how they so, sort of had to make sure that they were positioned correct. I think was it the uh, the ship? Were they showing the ship scene there when they were like when Felix was coming when they were doing that? Well, what I was referring to is when they were talking about how, and I guess it makes sense. They don't have the computer assistance that people like. Um, 
Tim Burton's group, you know, have had. Oh that yes, yes, yes. I know they would have to stay there yeah. until the scene was done because you go home at night, come back That's the next it, yeah. day, you're not going to remember where the guy was. Yeah, that was the two animators that were talking about that. And he's like, we just had to just stay here all night because yeah, until you're not the shot come, was done. You can't come back in the morning. It's going to be different. Yeah. And did I hear right? Did I understand correctly that there was one person per puppet? So if you had a big scene, you'd have a whole bunch of people in the room working. I with believe you? so. Yeah, it was just wow. it was really tedious. I don't, I don't know that people get because uh, you're not seeing a lot of stop motion today. Everything's done in computers. I think even like things that look like stop motion are done with computers today. You know what I mean? And like you said, I think some of the yeah. Tim Burton films kind of go that route a little bit. But man, back then it was so tedious. Every little hand movement. If they had to jump, you know, they're jumping from place to place. They had to make sure they're you know mounted from behind. Uh, to the boards so that you could maneuver the hand and the feet correctly, but mm-hmm. they had to build, you know, drill through these sets and come up from underneath and, you know, get screws and bolts and put all these different things. Things I'd never imagined before. Like I, you watch this and you're like, oh, maybe they just got puppets and move their hands around. And yeah, it'll take a while. But no, it was like long, tedious work to get just the simplest motion done. And that's one of the things that almost always takes me out of one of these movies is when somebody throws something because I'm constantly looking, how did they do that? Because yeah. there's nothing propping it up. And then I appreciate the scene even more, so I'm back right into it. But there's a lot of things tossing back and forth, like flying bats at the airplanes, take to the air, zombie birdman, you know, all the things happening here where things are flying around. It's like. That's impressive. That's yeah. pretty amazing. Somebody did not go in and post and digitally remove a prop. Here. No, you had to do it. I mean, you had, or even just like water scenes. There's a lot of like boats, and there's, you know, they're coming up on the island, and just how do you do water on these things, you know, and, ha- and have it still be in that world? It, visually, it's, it's really exciting. And yeah, I'm kind of like the same way. Like, I'll, I'll miss the next two or three lines as I'm trying to figure out how they just did that stunt. Right. <laughs> just, which gives you an excuse to go back and rewatch it again. Yeah. <laughs> like, yes. we need one. Well, exactly. Never, never need a good reason to to go back and watch something cool. I mean, these guys were pioneers when it came to this kind of thing. I know they're not the only people who did stop motion, and I know Harry Hausen did stop motion and go back to George Powell. You know, all these guys. Yeah. But when it comes to making the stop motion more pop culture friendly, I guess I feel like it's the best way to put it. These guys were pioneers, and yeah, you've got the Tim Burton stuff. And hey, I'm in the Portland, Oregon area. I, I live in the town that birthed Will Vinton. The California Raisins came from here. Yeah. Lake is right down the street. You know, so they're putting out things like Paranorman. And my wife and I just watched Kubo and the Two Strings last night. So you know, there's a lot of stop motion stuff around here. But I feel like the Rankin Bass guys, man. Well, if they're I mean, not the, the, the top, you know, of yeah, some sort I mean, of yeah. – Well, they certainly made a name for it and it's certainly, mm-hmm. it's, it's, they certainly have their own look to things. Sure. You know, like you said, like Harryhausen. You know when you're watching something from Ray Harryhausen. Mm-hmm. I mean it's, it's just that – it's art. I mean it's really art when you think about it and that each artist – again, Jack Davis, you know, his puppets, his designs, they have a specific look to them. Uh, Rankin and Bass, their visual production has a specific look to it. Uh, you know what you're seeing when you see it. You, Tim Burton. You know when you're watching a Tim Burton thing. You look and you go, oh, it's, it's got to be a Tim Burton thing. And it's fun to watch some of the Tim Burton stuff too because you can see some of the influence from some of these earlier things. What was I think uh, – I made a note here somewhere. Was it uh, – I was at a clock – or no, it was the, – yeah, the screaming shrunken head clock. Right. <laughs> that to me was like, okay, that had to influence some some Tim Burton stuff. He had to have seen this and and kind of taken some things from that. So – it's just kind of cool to see how one influences the next generation, influences the next generation, but each artist brings its own flair to it. Everything is a remix. Everybody's going to find influences from everything they've consumed and then make their own, and then that's going to be picked up. It's just interesting to see the kind of, we call it a genealogy, the family tree of how this stuff 
came to be. And yeah, I could see a lot of Tim Burton maybe pulling from this. He mentioned that screaming clock. That's that's Beetlejuice. That's that's eighties Tim Burton, right? Yeah. There. Yeah, that's exactly what that is. So, and you know, maybe, who knows? I, I don't know specifically, but maybe that was an homage to Mad Monster Party. You should you should get him on your show and ask him. I do. <laughs> <laughs> Funny you should ask. Uh-oh. Uh oh. Well, no, he he is definitely on the wish list. Let's put it okay. that way. Okay. Yeah. All well, right, come right. on. The guy directed Batman. Come on. Yeah. You know, and he almost directed Super. Did you? Just as a side note, have you seen the the Death of Superman Lives? The documentary. I haven't seen the movie. I've seen the do- uh, the trailer. Is it worth checking out? Yeah, it's pretty good. Right <laughs> it's really good. Speaking of Tim Burton, it's it's, it's amazing. You, you really do. There's a lot of Tim Burton in that documentary, too. I mean, they sit down and, and chat with him about it. So that's pretty cool. But he did do Batman and, and Beetlejuice. Mm-hmm. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would, lo- would love to have him on. The- he Look, there is always an episode of Comic Book Central reserved for Tim Burton. Of course there is. So, Tim, if you're listening, because I know, you know you're, you're an avid Monster Kid Radio fan. You know, yeah, well, when you're talking to him <laughs> on Monster Kid Radio – then you just hey, tell him to come on over. To there we go. Comic Why don't we tag team him the way we did Joel, Joel Hodgson? Oh, that'd be perfect. Why don't we set that up? All right, cool. We're on it. Okay. Well, our people will contact his people and <laughs> maybe, maybe, in wow. 20, maybe in 2020 we'll, we'll, we'll see something going on. That's it. That's it. Um, <laughs> anyway, you were saying. <laughs> but no, but if you are a fan of Tim Burton, you're, you're going to love this. The title of the film. How yes. do, like when you're telling somebody like, "Hey, you got to watch this." How do you explain? I mean, you've said it here, but how do you say the title of the film? I, I call it "Mad Monster Party." That's what the DVD case, I believe, calls it, and some of the posters have called it. But originally, it's got that question mark. It, do I say, "Have you seen Mad Monster Party?" <laughs> like, <laughs> why is well, that I, question I, mark there? Yeah, I don't know. Okay, um, I don't know if yeah. you had some insight into this or not. I, I don't. But okay, yeah. I mean, even looking it up on the Internet Movie Database, it's got the question mark. It does all, the, and I think even on the Wikipedia page, it's got the question marks, which is correct. I mean, it is that monster party, right? <laughs> like, are they? Huh? Is it a question? Because now the comic book does not have it. Okay, on the cover. Then you flip on the inside cover, and it's Mad Monster Party. Huh. With the question marks. I don't know. Uh, it's got all the credits on the front. So the inside front cover of the comic book is an exact representation of the credits on screen. Oh, okay. Uh, okay. But the, the cover of the comic book does not have it. It just says Mad Monster Party. Monsters, monsters, monsters. The wildest party out of this world. So there you go. But some very cool, very cool stills from uh, the movie are on there. Yeah, we've yeah got, it is. Yeah, we've there got is. Fang. We've got Quasimodo. And we've got Boris Karloff on the front too, so very cool. What do you think about the voice work? I mean, obviously Karloff. Karloff's great. Any anytime you get Karloff and Frankenstein in the same sentence, I'm yeah on board and intrigued immediately. And in that he's playing a Frankenstein in this and voicing Frankenstein, a, a Frankenstein, yeah. Boris von Frankenstein, yeah. <laughs> which, which is kind of cool. A nice full circle for him, you yeah. know, for a career coming full full circle with that. I, I would have to double check, and, and maybe somebody out there knows without having to go online. Is this the last time he was involved in a Frankenstein-type character? Because uh, I know he did uh, Frankenstein 1970, and I think that was in the 50s. Yeah, but I, I think it was the last with that world. Because um, I looked – I think he only did a few things after this. So, yeah, again, very very cool way to do it. I loved his voice work. As much as I I grew up watching the Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, of course I grew up watching the Grinch, you know, who stole Christmas. Yeah. So you get Boris through all of that as well. So to have him in another animated property – just fantastic. Yeah, I just it. having the voice work there, and too, mm-hmm. and and um, Alan Swift. So, do you know much about this guy? I, I don't know much about Alan Swift, other than apparently he can do a lot of voices. Yeah, he can. I know he was on Underdog uh, as okay. Simon Bar Sinister. So, if you remember the the cartoon Underdog, oh yeah. Uh, so that's him there. 
and also Riff Raff uh, from Underdog Cartoon Show. I, I love the fact that it's it's very Hollywood. What he does here is that he voices basically everybody. Um, the, everything, right. everybody that's not a female character and uh, that isn't Boris Karloff. Uh, he basically does all the voices, but sort of like he channels Jimmy Stewart. I'm trying to think uh, who else he's he's channeling uh, for these. Well, there's a Sydney Greenstreet. Sydney Greenstreet, car- yeah, exactly. Peter Lorre mm-hmm. uh, that he's mm-hmm. going through. Yeah, so he kind of likes, and he's in the documentary too. Yes, yeah, and does the voices in the documentary, which is cool to see him sitting there. Fantastic, right, right, right. So that's it. So go get it if you if you haven't pushed pause already and and went out and got the DVD or Blu-ray. Just what are you waiting for? Go do it. I was checking the other day. You know, listeners, this might not help, but uh, or maybe it will. The other day, uh, the Blu-ray was less than ten dollars on Amazon. <laughs> just, just saying, we should get a cut out of this. We really <laughs> should. We really should. should start paying us for these. Uh, you know, going back to Alan Swift, though, I, I think it's interesting. This, this is a great choice, by the way, to do it yeah. this way. They did not go to the what you would expect to be the voice. You didn't have a blatant Bela Lugosi impersonation for Dracula, right? You didn't have a blatant Claude Rains for the Invisible Man. I appreciated that. It gave it its own style. I agree too. Yeah, he 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 brought a lot to the party. I just wish they had spelled his name correctly in the credits. Oh, did they spell it wrong? And even in the comic book, yeah, A L A N. Yeah, it should be A L L E N, I believe. Hmm. Um, <laughs> I guess they just weren't paying close attention to detail back in the '60s. But yeah, look, as long as his check cleared, right? Well, yeah, as long as they spelled the name right on the check, right? That's all. That's all that matters. <laughs> as long as he was able to cash it. Yeah, he just knocks it out of the park on this oh, one. He's, he's great. He, he does so many different voices in this, and it's just a, a, it's unbelievable. It's almost like Mel Blanc with you know the Looney Tunes. It's just like one guy doing all this stuff, and and it's so different. It really is. I, I didn't realize it the first time I watched it that it was just one guy. Yeah, I just assumed they had a full cast or, or a, a bigger cast than what they had. Yeah, but well, wow. I mean, budget. <laughs> sure, small budget on this one. So one guy doing multiple duty on that. Mm-hmm. Um, and and again, let's who we got? Uh, Gail Garnett as Francesca uh, sounds a little bit like Kathleen Turner to me. Yeah, kind of pulls that off. So it's if you if you you know know like Kathleen Turner even as Jessica Rabbit or. You know, that sort of sultry, smoky voice sounds a lot like her. Like if that movie were made in the 80s, you'd probably assume that that was Kathleen Turner doing the voice. It's funny you mentioned you know, Jessica Rabbit as well because I could see <laughs> oh, yeah. you know, the red hair, the buxom, the walking around, the voice. I mean, Well, and was that an influence? I don't know. Who knows? Um, yeah, I mean because you, obviously you've got the voice. You've got you know, the look of Jessica Rabbit. You know, so was that sort of hearkening back to this? I don't know. Did that you – know, was somebody – unconsciously influenced by that don't know that'd be that'd be a cool thing to find out though mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, but definitely sort of a jessica rabbit looking yeah <laughs> and i like her her character arc as well there there are some interesting stories in this i mean you've got some cool little bits here and there but i feel like her and then felix both have it's their story really and mostly felix's story but i like francesca's character arc where she starts in one place and really kind of comes around and has a journey that she goes through with Felix. And I really appreciated that too. There is a plot. Yes. There yeah. is a, there's a plot to be followed. <laughs> there are, there are character developments as you proceed through this quirky little animated play. This is not just comedy bit after comedy bit after comedy bit. There yeah. is a, a complex story here that I guess if you really look at it can kind of fall apart a little bit. Like why did you spend so much time trying to create this formula to destroy everything if you don't want anybody to have it? That's the kind of thing is that Baron Boris von Frankenstein, his ultimate goal, that's his ultimate creation, is that he can destroy everything. All matter. 
destroy all matter. I wish I could do a Boris Karloff. But yeah, he destroys. And we see a mushroom cloud as he's demonstrating as he blows up one of his bats. I mean, that's wow. That was just such a strange intro. Yeah. It's so interesting, too, because you look at his look, like even like the lab coat he wears. There's like blood stains on it. At least it looks yeah. like it looked like that to me. I mean, it was just kind of like really creepy. That whole intro sequence, you know, where you know he's creating this thing and like the sparks are flying down and and everything. And like you said, yeah, he sends this raven. Was it the raven? Oh, that's right. Because we get the little joke, you know, quote the raven nevermore. Everybody blows it up. Yeah, and he blows it. Yeah, it was just like so crazy. Um, and then I must send out invitations to forgive everybody. You know, it's like okay. <laughs> But if, if you're trying to destroy everything, I don't know. It's very strange. It, it is an interesting um, – Let's have a party. Yeah, let's have a party. <laughs> let's have a 60s shindig. <laughs> I'll call the band and yeah. Yeah, yeah. But we'll, we'll get the chef. <laughs> I love the chef's name. Mafia Machiavelli. <laughs> Mafia Machiavelli. Yes. Well, and that you mentioned the oh. length of the movie too because I think – yeah. That's one of those scenes too where they talked about what that's like an added scene. If you look in the comic book, the comic book had to be based on the original screenplay that they got because those things are coming out months ahead of time. So right. a lot of those things aren't in the comic book uh, when you go through a lot of those scenes. Um, there's another one uh, too with going into the – where all the air, the airplane hangar. Yeah. You go into the air, zombie birdmen. Yes. <laughs> exactly. But like a lot of those scenes aren't in the comic. Why? Because they aren't – they weren't in the original screenplay. Those were added in to sort of pad the length to a feature film. Right. Anytime you do that, that's when you kind of come in with somebody like yourself and go, this feels long or this, you know, this thing. Okay. I understand that, but we do get a feature film. Would this have been better as a 30 minute cartoon? Possibly, but then you're not going to get Chef Mafia Machiavelli. <laughs> that whole crazy scene, which I think is kind of cool. It does drag on a little bit. But it's a fun bit. You know, it's kind of like a Saturday Night Live skit. It just goes on a little too Yes. <laughs> yeah, no, you're absolutely right. Octopus soup with real octopus? Yeah, I mean, come on. <laughs> That's great. I mean, it was a lot of fun. Yeah, there's a lot of those little jokes that, that come up in there too. So would it have been better as a tighter 30-minute cartoon? Probably, uh, mm. but it's not. So there you go. I, I could see maybe like a like a forty five minutes so you can add commercials, run it on TV on Halloween kind of thing. Yeah, again, again they were going for a feature, uh, and which, which was a lot in those days because uh, I talked on Comic Book Central with Stephen Kandel. He wrote uh, Batman's first three part. If you remember the old Batman series, it was always two parters. You know, so yeah. tune in same time, you know, same bat channel, and it was cliffhanger, and they come back the next day. Well, they he wrote the first three parter. Why? Because they were trying to pad out a story to release it overseas as a feature. That was a big thing back then. You know, it was like it really was. Yeah, yeah, you could take this thing, but if you make it longer, you can sell it overseas or you could sell it here, even here in the states as a feature film, mm-hmm. and people will go see it. Is it a TV special? Yeah. Is it a TV show? Yeah. But back then, when you saw Batman or even some of these animated films, people were like, "Okay, that's a feature." Now. You know, you can tell the difference between Marvel's Agents of Shield and Marvel's Avengers: Age of Ultron. Right. So you're not you're not going to release an extra long episode of Agents of Shield <laughs> as a feature film. It's not going to happen. Uh, but back in the '60s, you could do stuff like that. So, and you could make a lot more money. You, you really could. I mean, I was mentioning Mission Impossible at the very beginning. They did that with Mission Impossible. They took a exactly. few episodes of that, strung it together, made a feature, and there you go. Uh, we were doing Planet of the Apes here on the sh- on the show, and the TV show Planet of the Apes got packaged together as exactly. new movies in the franchise, even though it was just episodes tied together somehow. Spider-Man Nicholas Hammond, they released hey. it, yeah, the Chinese web, and they released it overseas as a feature mm-hmm. film. 
So yeah, it, it happened all the time. So yeah, it's not shocking that something from the 60s was padded to an extra length. Uh, but in this case, it's kind of I like some of those characters and some of those scenes that they have in there. So I'm okay with it. Yeah, me too. I, I love the chef scene. I love the kitchen scene. It's so much fun. Yeah. And and when you look at the different animations happening, you know, moving the octopus tentacles, moving the different food items that are still moving, it's just a fun moment. And I'm sure that the technical work that went into making that work, just amazing work. I'm going to use the work a few more times, use the word work a few more times. But yeah, I mean, it's just, <laughs> I'm going to work it into my conversation. Anyway, no, it was, it was really cool. No, it, it was cool. And, and, you know, basically, you know, like what we're, what we're talking about is, is Boris, so his character in it, he's going to retire. And mm-hmm. I guess he like the, he's achieved his ultimate dream. He's going to retire as the head of the worldwide organization of monsters. So he's inviting everybody there to his island, the Isle of Evil. The Isle of Evil. <laughs> what else would it be called, right? <laughs> and so yeah, we've got all the different creatures coming in there. What did you think about the creature from the Black Lagoon? Because that's your favorite, right? Yeah, that's my thing. And it's a sea monster. It's clearly supposed to be a Gilman yeah. thing, but. Of all the classic Universal monsters, I feel like that's the one you have to be the most careful about not mimicking the look. Yeah, you get the flat top off of Frankenstein's head. That's clearly Universal. But if you are, I don't know, I would imagine Universal might have a few issues if you are too Gilman-like. So I get it. It works. I prefer, I prefer the Gilman versus this, but, you know. Yeah. But, I mean, you still get him. You still get him. Yeah. You know, you it's, know it's the is. monster team-up. Yeah. And that's a cool yeah. thing. So the the invitations go out. Over the credit sequence, and that, that's kind of a cool thing because uh, you get the Bondian music playing. You get all the jokes from all the different monsters that mm-hmm. are coming together. And he's basically saying, you know, hey, I'm retiring. I got this great thing. Um, let me bring all the monsters together here and tell everybody about it. And we mentioned Felix Flanken, Jimmy Stewart. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so that, that's basically his nephew. And he's going to turn everything over to Felix, which doesn't sit well with Francesca. No, so she hatches this plan with Dracula to try to get him out of the way. And, of course, she thinks her thoughts too loud. So <laughs> Frankenstein's mate, Phyllis Diller, hears this. Yeah. And she starts to work something out with Fang. And calamity ensues at that party. Well, I, I love that party scene. There is a plot. Like I said, there there are some things going on. So And it just mm-hmm. kind of leads to a lot of like really cool Looney Tune moments. Is there, like Everybody's trying to take out Felix. Uh, right. You know, as they're trying to hatch a plan. It's very Wally Coyote. Road I was going to say Roadrunner much. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. I mean, if you like any of those things, they all come into play here. And huge sight gags. Very cool sight gags, which are also played out in the comic book, which is funny to watch. Because yes. it is that sort of comic strip feel on some of those pages where it looks like a Sunday comic strip with these sight gags kind of coming in. So that's mm-hmm. that's pretty cool, too. Yeah, no, I, I love it. And I love that Francesca eventually, you know, she kind of turns uh, she takes the character turn she's now down with felix but the other monsters are still just trying to do their thing and then it shows up and just so much fun it's, yeah. it's a rally they refer to it as a monster rally during the party which i've always wondered where the phrase monster rally first came into monster kid dumb you know there's a monster rally song they refer, reference a monster rally here when did that become a phrase a term a thing like a thing you think it was from this or you think earlier you know, I don't know. I know there's a song out there, uh, we're having a monster rally, which doesn't sound anything like that. <laughs> um, <laughs> I don't remember when that came out, but I'd be curious to know. If anybody knows, if anybody has any insight, call in. <laughs> Let me know. <laughs> um, there's a boat scene where Felix is, is coming over. A lot of good gags <laughs> going on there. None of that's in the comic book, by the way. So again, oh, that's, that's another yeah. you know, section uh, that, that was just added for the movie. 
there's so many different things. I, again, possibly influencing later things down the road. It's like he loses his glasses. He can't see things as the monsters are coming up. Very much like Velma from Scooby-Doo. Oh, yeah. Which was a couple years later. So it's like, did somebody see Mad Monster Party and kind of like, you know, or was that an old joke from the 40s? Who knows? But it was, it's very Scooby-Doo-ish. Like even uh, Dr. Jekyll, when he like, <laughs> I love the visuals of this. Again, we go toward the look of the film. Like even when he, he transforms, like his hat, becomes like a, <laughs> a transformed hat. You know what I mean? Like it's yes. like this really cool chapeau and then it's like this monstrous hat. Yes. Um, the, the whole thing, it's not just his face. His whole costume, I mean, changes up a little with the hat looking all ratty and it's exactly, great. Exactly. Um, you've got zombie minions. You've got Yetch. We, we haven't talked about Yetch much. We do, It's sort of that, like you said, Peter Lorre imitation that Sydney Green Street kind of thing. Yes, man. You know, that kind of thing. But, <laughs> How creepy was this character? I mean, there's one point, yeah. like he's really like, okay, we mentioned the look of Francesca. Yetch really likes Francesca a lot. A, a whole lot. Yeah. I mean, there's one point he says, Francesca, you're beautiful. How much I wanted to touch you. Um, <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> it's like, I mean, Okay. He does creep me out in this a lot. Yeah, yeah. And on the Blu-ray, more so, I think, than the DVD that I have, there are some shots where it's just a close-up of him speaking. Yeah. And he's got, like, little divots in his face, little pock marks and all that. And he's just <laughs> a creepy-looking dude. And said, oh, oh, yeah, no. Oh. It's slimy. He's just really yeah. slimy. His voice is probably the one that's the most on the nose. And like I said earlier, you know, Swift did not channel the ghosts here, any of them. But putting the Peter Lorre voice with this character made perfect sense. Yeah. Yeah, and there's so many like slimy lines from him, and I mean, he he's well written. Let's put it that way. He is, he is, and without the extra scenes that makes it a feature length, we wouldn't have as many of that. I think as many of those scenes because the kitchen scene, you know, he's running around with the chef and all that. So you get more of him with these extra scenes, and I don't know why he was chosen to be the character to stretch things out. Yeah, but I appreciated it because he got more of him. He's an evil, slimy dude, but still want to watch him. Yeah, and even when he's – you talk about that kitchen scene too and all these puns that they're making too. Again, these like really strange moments is like a pinch of this and a pinch of that and then he like pinches Yetch on the bum. <laughs> Which was like, weird too. Enough with the pinching. Yeah, the, what? The <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, man. Like we talked about the songs. Uh, what was the one uh, from Phyllis Diller? You're different. You're different, yes. That's oh. and, and like if you look on the documentary, like on the sheet music, it reads jazz waltz. So like even the songs change the style that they're in, right? Uh, throughout, you get a lot of different styles. Like you said, little tibia and the fibia <laughs> in the Beatles wigs. You yeah, know, that, getting that's down my to the mummy. That you know the dance. It's that very kind of sixty swinging kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Our time to shine. Uh, we get Francesca dancing with Dracula. Yes, like a ragtime feel. To that one, yeah, it does have that kind of that vibe, yeah. So all the, I mean, like all the different styles of music. So I don't have the soundtrack; I just like listening to it in the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think I'm gonna have to get it. It's fun. You've got the instrumental stuff, but then you also have the the lyrical numbers and musical numbers. And to hear one step ahead with Karloff, not really singing, kind of doing like a, a spoken word piece, but he's timed to music, so it sounds like he's singing. Yeah, that's great. I call it for, in in Karloff world. I, I call that singing. That's probably as close as you're ever going to get with him. Yeah. So. And just to have a musical number with Boris Karloff yeah. in a feature film. Yeah. 
When, when do you have that? You don't unless you're watching Mad Monster Party. That's it. And that's, that's why it's a Mad Monster Party. Party? <laughs> Question mark. <laughs> yeah. This um, is the best monster convention ever. Yeah. <laughs> I think they say at one point. I think you referenced the fight scene earlier too. Cool fight scene between Francesca and Phyllis Diller. You know, the monster's mate. <laughs> With the cat sound effects? <laughs> the cat sound effects. Yeah. I mean, look, only in the 60s are you going to get that. <laughs> You know, cat fight, complete with the screeches and hisses. Yeah, and then like Phyllis Diller's dress falls off at one point. So, yeah. So there's that. <laughs> Look, if you haven't seen it, if that, if that doesn't intrigue you enough to go see it, which is then followed up by a Mad Monster party pie fight. Hashtag winning. I don't know. I just <laughs> – come on. You get, a, you get a drunk werewolf <laughs> who's running off with – Little tibia and amphibia's remnants, <laughs> yeah. like a dog on a bone. <laughs> you know, pie fights. And the way it ends, which you actually see in the trailer when Dracula comes out of the punch bowl. Anybody want to punch? <laughs> and then Frankenstein punches him. Yep. Boom. And see. <laughs> that's Mad Magazine. That's that perfect. Totally Mad Magazine. Yeah. Perfect. Perfect. And the, and the funny thing is, up till then, Felix hasn't even shown up. Right. As, as much as he's supposed this. to be like one of the lead characters, he doesn't show up until you know a good third of the way through yeah there's the whole boat thing so he's like kind of on his way there um so you get all those jokes there so a lot going on on both sides and then as you said you know they're coming in and, you know you get the whole wily coyote thing they're trying to take mm-hmm. him out he's basically he's the one that's supposed to take over for boris and right. they keep making joke references all the way through like you know yet i think says to francesca at one point i love your eyes i love your chin i love the shape they put you in it's like <laughs> what what does that mean thank you <laughs> You know what I mean? Like, like, what is he referring to there? You know, so now they're dropping like all these hints as you kind of go through. And I don't know, but as I'm watching this, I'm like, oh, I see where they're going with this. Okay. Well, at the very, very beginning, Frankenstein says that she's a masterpiece. Yeah. And, and I don't know if I picked that up right off the back. Yeah, I just thought I like, either, you know, but... look, here's the way she looks. I'm like, okay, yeah. And then you, you start to get these references to how she's made. And you're like, oh, we're in a laboratory. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Now I'm putting the pieces together. I'm a little slow, but I'll get there eventually. <laughs> Got distracted by the pie fight. Exactly. <laughs> it, well, yeah, and, and Phyllis Diller's dress coming off. Who wouldn't get distracted after seeing that? See, I, I don't know if, if I'm on board with that. But anyway. Um, <laughs> Look, I didn't say distracted in a good way. I just said distracted. <laughs> Read into that as you will. Okay. Yeah. Um. <laughs> and okay, and so like, and there's one other thing I wanted to ask you about is they're kind of yes. going through uh, the castle there, and they're showing like all these paintings. Any idea like who those people are in the paintings? Were they like Boris's predecessors, or I, I don't know? I mean, you you may have gotten some of the references that I didn't get, but I, I you know I just thought I that was interesting. There's all these stuff in the background that I'm looking at. Yeah, I mean they're they're fully realized sets. They're yeah. the the production design, the art design. Whether it's you know for for characters that are six inches tall or not, yeah, it's fantastic work and it feels like a lived-in castle. I don't know if I know the references or if there was a reference. Okay, again, it's just there. stuff to look at like on repeated viewing. So if you're watching this, kind of go back and through and uh, yeah, let us know if you if you notice something cool in that too. Uh, yeah, and you mentioned the you know the Boris Karloff song. Yeah, it was, I, I think on the the song style and the sheet music when you watch the documentary, it says like calypso or spiritual. It says on there so. I thought that was interesting too. <laughs> um, I just jotted that down. It's like, yeah, where else are you going to get that? It's it's a fun song, and in this as well as a couple of the other songs in here, don't really reference monster things. They could exist as their own piece, which is one of the disjointed things that I I picked up on the first time that I watched it. But 
now that I have fully embraced my monster kiddom, I don't care. Yeah. <laughs> you know? so, I mean, whatever. You can have a normal non-monster song in a monster movie. I don't care. That's fine. It, as long as it's catchy. I mean, and it, exactly. Yeah, it, it, as long as they're fun. And yeah, again, you go into the jungle, they're chased. Like you said, Francesca turns. So now she's mm-hmm. kind of like, and it's like, again, only in the 60s. She escapes. Felix saves her. She yells at him. He slaps her. She falls in love with him. It's like, okay, we're definitely square in the 60s. <laughs> and then it goes right into another song, which is another cool one. Never was a love like mine. Yeah. By Francesca. Bossa Nova. Yeah. Bossa Nova song. So if you like Bossa Nova, man, you got that coming at you too. So, And it really, I think her voice was made for that type of, that style. Yeah. Uh, it's just perfect. And uh, yeah, spoiler alert, King Kong shows up to... Uh, to kind of save the day. So, during all this chasing, like through the jungle, do you ever like wonder where Boris Karloff was all this time? He kind of like disappears for a while. Yeah, he's, he's just hanging out, you know. He's just kind of like hanging out in the castle or something. Yeah. You know, writing, writing, writing sheet music or something. So <laughs> There um, you go. Um, what did you think of the ending of the film? I liked it. I, I liked how it all kind of came together and wrapped up. And yeah, the little twist here that you did kind of see coming. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I liked it. Did you? I did, and I don't know if you've ever seen the film Some Like It Hot. It does feel like that, doesn't it? It's it's the ending, and it's – Yep. I don't know if you mm-hmm. want to like – I think we probably referenced it enough or at least alluded yeah, no, to it. Yeah, that's fine. Yeah, no, was- in the movie, Felix is – well, oh, Francesca is a robot. <laughs> she's, mm-hmm. she's been created by Boris. But Felix is also a robot. Right. We do get that punchline at the end. That is not in the comic book. So the comic book ending is very much – like some like it hot where he realizes she's a robot. He's well, nobody's perfect in the movie. He kind of repeats the line over and over. So you realize he's kind of stuck and he's a robot too. In the comic book, you don't get the sense that he's also a robot. So I thought that was interesting. I wonder if that was just sort of changed up for the film. I can't imagine it's one of the things you can just kind of change on the fly on the set because you're doing all this animation and this painstaking process. So I Maybe it was a previous version of the script that they got when they did the comic book, like you said. I mean, even now when they do a comic book or adaptations or novelizations, they get an earlier version of the script than yeah. what ultimately ends up on screen. But Well, I that's wonder. what I was kind of wondering because it's not – like I said, it's not in the comic. And it, that would be just a quick ad in voiceover because when you're going through – because it's, it's almost like that. Well, that's true. Yeah. I mean I think there's like a – I think they show like a little glitch in him. So he's kind of repeating it. But you know, they could just back the film up you know, a couple of frames and just, you know, repeating yeah. it or something like that. So I'd have to watch it again uh, just to kind of see that. But I'm just curious as to whether or not that specific punchline was in the original script or not. But uh, either way, it's just a cool punchline. The only thing that's odd about it to me is that Felix at the end, like, you know, when everything blows up, you know, and, and, and Boris sacrifices, you know, himself, like uh, fireworks are going off kind of thing. Mm-hmm. He's, I know it's wrong, but I have this tremendous urge to sing old Lang Syne. <laughs> um... <laughs> Too soon? (laughs) Maybe. Like everybody's dead? So maybe too soon. Yeah. Yeah. Felix not known for his, you know, not known for his subtlety or for, you know, his his empathy for for others. So um, I don't know. I think, I just think Jimmy Stewart probably would have had a little bit more empathy. But anyway. That's true. That's true. They went for the joke. It was definitely a Mad Magazine style joke toward the end there. Yeah, I thought it was pretty cool. Look, it's got every monster, and then all of a sudden, before you know, King Kong shows up, and so you get King Kong too. So, I think we've sold it 
as well as we can sell it if somebody hasn't seen it yet i would hope they'd run out and uh, check it out but it's a it's a very cool film it really is and you mentioned yetch he's got some of the creepiest lines but i still enjoy them yeah quite a bit i mean in terms of like little zingers or one-liners i love his interactions i like the character of felix i love the character francesca i love having boris karloff in this thing i, I love the chef <laughs> I, that's what i think you know it's it all ties together with boris karloff you can just say you know yeah. it's just another it's one of the greatest cross Crossovers. You're, you're probably never going to see. I think even a Monster Squad. I don't think they had like how many total monsters are in Monster Squad. There are five. Uh, you've got you know the big the big five. You know Drac, Frankenstein, yeah. a Wolfman, a Mummy, and a creature. And that's it. So you top it in this one, right? Oh yeah, you've got them all in here. You've got Jekyll and Hyde. You've got Quasimodo. Yeah. You got the Invisible Man. So I don't think there's anything else like this. I don't think you're ever going to see. And even Yetch is an Igor Sandin. So right, and King Kong to top it all off. So oh yeah, yeah. It, it throws everything into. I have not seen the prequel. I was going to ask you about that. Okay. I also have not tracked it down, and it's called Mad 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 Monsters. Right. And my understanding is that it was a, it was intended for television. It was a TV spot and it's kind of a prequel ish i get i hear prequel i hear it's not a prequel it's just like another uh story in the tone or in the vein no pun intended of uh, right. this but uh yeah what five years later uh so it aired september 23rd 1972 as part of the abc saturday superstar movie um some of the similar characters obviously you know we had lost boris karloff by then but uh bob mcfadden plays frankenstein in it he was the voice of frankenberry yeah, he was Frankenberry. He was also Milton the Monster. Okay. Yeah, he's got some monster-ish stuff in his in his background. There. Yeah. Um. So we got that. I again, it's it's on DVD. I just haven't seen it. Yeah, I haven't tracked it down either. I, I need to. Well, maybe that's a future episode. <laughs> hey, there we go. <laughs> we could do it. There we, we go. Get a sequel to this one, which I guess would be a prequel to our own conversation. There we go. Have you ever done a prequel to your own conversation? I don't. I don't know. That sounds hard. <laughs> that sounds like work. <laughs> it sounds like a lot more work. No, no it'll be fun. Um, we'll and do it's it. 2D we'll do animation, it. so it's not the stop motion. It is Rankin Bass. And even though it's not stop motion, it's still produced by the same production company in Tokyo, which was uh, MOM Productions, which, by the way, I did not know growing up, obviously, as a kid. I, I wouldn't have researched this or found out, but I had no idea that a lot of the Rankin Bass stuff was actually done in Japan. No, I didn't either. No clue. Yeah, I mean, you always no. just assume that. Well, I, I even found out some of that, uh, you know, when you're talking about like the, the Spider-Man animated series, uh, you know, when yeah. you go through, I, I, you know, I've obviously interviewed folks from that, that and it's like you, you don't realize how many different companies, how much of the stuff was shipped overseas to different production mm-hmm. companies. I mean, they were doing voiceover stuff here. They were shipping animation out over to overseas. Uh, there was voiceover work being done in Canada. The, you know, some of the music was done somewhere else. So, yeah, I mean, as a kid, you don't know any of that stuff. You're just watching and it's like, hey, this cool thing that just came on here. And you realize just how many different countries are involved in putting these productions together. It's, uh, it's amazing. Right. But, yeah, there's your King Kong tie-in, too, when it comes to yeah, that, there you go. the yes. King Kong animated series. Mm-hmm. Which led to kind of sort of King Kong escapes from Toho, which is a live-action Soupmation thing. So, it, it, Which <laughs> I could probably connect to Creature if I really tried. Um, it, it, all, it all comes um, back to Creature. <laughs> That's how we roll around here. Um, highly recommended. Highly recommended. Yeah, I enjoyed. It. I'm glad. I, I'm glad it jumped onto my radar there. I, yeah, I just thought this would be a perfect thing for us to chat about. So it's it's cool that we both got to watch it together. I'm definitely going to go back and rewatch it because there's yeah, so too. much in the background that you missed on first viewing. So it'd just be fun to just 
you, when you and I watch things, it's like we watch them with a view of teaching others and uh, reviewing and doing yeah, the- a, a critical eye, a critical eye. And it's, yeah. it's easy. It's fun to kind of turn that off every once yeah, in a while. Yeah, I just want to go back and just go, okay, let me just let wash all over me and, and see what this mm-hmm. is all about. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, very cool. Very cool stuff. Good stuff. Good stuff. And even though Joe and I spoiled a lot of the movie, there's so much more in there. We, we didn't get everything. So still, highly recommend getting your hands on this thing. I, I would imagine most of your listeners probably have seen this. Or, yeah. I mean, it, it seems like it's one of those things that we should have seen up until this point that we just haven't. So now check that one off. Tick, tick that box right go. off there. <laughs> off to the prequel. <laughs> So I want to talk a little bit more about Comic Book Central. I want to hear what's coming up. Uh, I'm always uh, for talking about Comic Book Central. Can, can you give us some teasers here? I can. Um, I can say that uh, as we record this, uh, I am days away from something very, very special happening. Now, as this airs, because you know, people you know, listening, you know, we record these ahead of time. If I could pull off what I'm trying to pull off, you'll know about it. So if you go to comicbookcentral.net, You'll know if I was able to achieve that or not. I have something scheduled at something very special. If you've been listening to Comic Book Central at any point during its run, you probably know how I define something very special. I was going to say this is a very special episode as opposed to a, a very special episode. Uh, you know, this isn't a <laughs> – Some things – some episodes I put together and it's like how comic books come to life and you talk to certain you know writers, producers, actors, whatever. And then there are those episodes – Look, people ask you know, like, "Who's your? Who's on your wish list? Who? What? What?" Can, and I never like to say it. Well, you know this, just being in podcasts. Right. You never like to say yeah. something until it's on your hard drive. <laughs> you have mm-hmm. recorded a conversation. You've listened to it. You know you're going to be able to deliver something. I never like to say the guests until I've actually recorded them. This one is definitely. Ah, uh, it's probably the highest. Okay. On, right, on, well. on my wish list, and it may happen. So tune in if. If you check out the website, and you'll know right right away whether it happened or not. Now, what I can say is, like I did last year, last February, flashback, flash forward February. I'm bringing that back. So okay. if you love the Flash, the character of the Flash, uh, you remember last year, revisited some of the past Flash incarnations, the animated Flash from the 70s all the way up through <laughs> you know, the yep. 90s TV series up to the current show. So I'm doing that again. So I'm working on some episodes there all through the month of February. I'm going to have flashback, flash forward February, flash guests from all different eras of the Flash uh, giveaway. Did a Arrow Season 3 Blu-ray giveaway. More of those coming up and during the month of February during flashback, flash forward February. A very special giveaway there as well, too. Going to take the show on the road, again, as I always do, uh, to different uh, comic book conventions. Cincinnati Comic Expo, of course. Terrificon. Something really cool coming up at Terrificon this year as well. Adam West and Burt Ward. We talked about Batman. <laughs> My goodness. We talked about 1966. <laughs> we talked about Batman. It's going to be their final appearance, I believe, in Connecticut. Uh, they're billing that as. So uh, looking forward to that. You're going to hear that on the show uh, coming up okay. this summer as well. So, man, a lot of cool stuff. A lot of cool comic booky stuff coming up. Fantastic. So comicbookcentral.net is where people can find this. Of course, you're also on Facebook. Listeners, I play the promo on Monster Kid Radio pretty regularly. It's in rotation, and it's not just because Joe's a friend. I'm a fan of the show, and I want to support it. Are they sick of hearing it? But no, yeah, I appreciate you doing no, that. No, I, I really think it's a great show. People need to listen to it. Even if comic books isn't your thing, 
some of the stuff that he talks about is going to be. You know, we were talking about the Deep Space Nine stuff. So if you like Star Trek, you're going to find stuff there. You know, there's a lot. To you're going to find Star Trek stuff mm-hmm. there, and I'm hoping to do a little bit more Swamp Thing coming Ooh. up. Uh, okay. Yeah, we haven't talked a lot about. We, I, re- I visited that in the past. Working on something now where it's going to be Swamp Thing centric. So <laughs> okay. if you like your monsters swampy and mucky and 80s, 90s ish. Uh oh. <laughs> you might want to check out upcoming episodes of Comic Book Central for that too. So a lot of good stuff on tap. So so tell me you're you're going to get the actress that co starred with the Swamp Thing in the nineteen eighty nine return of the Swamp Thing. You're gonna have Heather Locklear on the show, right? I can say that <laughs> that request has been put in. Oh, has it really? I cannot say that that request has been accepted. <laughs> Again, like Tim Burton, there's always an episode reserved for Heather. Okay. I'm going to come on. She want to talk Fall Guy. Uh, oh, not Fall that, Guy. No, she uh, was um, – uh, that was Heather Thomas. Uh, yeah. Heather uh, – Melrose Place. Yeah. Melrose. TJ Hooker. There you go. We can talk about TJ Hooker. We can talk about working with the Shat. We can talk about Return of Swamp Thing. Although I did have Sarah Douglas on the show and we did talk about Return of Swamp Thing. So you if, like mm-hmm. your, if you like your monsters sequely and campy, <laughs> we've got them there too. So Sarah Douglas on the show. Uh, she was on there, but yeah, we'll see. Hopefully some more Swamp Thing on the way. Set your podcast dials to comicbookcentral.net to hear more from Joe. Like I said, this week, Richard Donner was his guest. Richard Donner. Superman the movie. Goonies. Tons of other movies, but those are the only two that are coming to mind right now because I'm still thinking Richard Donner on his podcast. Anyway, it was pretty amazing. Joe, thank you for being part of the show and making time to do this. And, uh, yeah, we're definitely going to have you back on. Uh, listeners, he and I did discuss off mic what the next movie will be, and I hope to have him on sooner rather than later. Thanks again, Joe. Space is a picture that you'll long remember for its blending of science and fiction, for its eerie terror, and for its story of an invasion from another planet that's almost beyond imagining. I tell you, from its size and its appearance, this thing came from outer space. I even have reason to believe that there's some form of life in it. What do you want? What are you doing? Let me see you as you really are. Dr. Lee Cushing, welcome to my Chamber of Horrors. 
Dr. Cushing's Chamber of Horrors is a serialized monster rally novel in the tradition of the classic Universal and Hammer horror films. It's written by Stephen D. Sullivan, the award-winning author of White Zombie, Daikaiju Attack, Manos, The Hands of Fate, and the original chill role-playing game. My goal is to recreate the thrills of the monster versus monster films that we all love. We'll have vampires, werewolves, mummies, psychic twins, and scheming madmen. And that's just in the first storyline. Now you can get Dr. Cushing's Chamber of Horrors and other monster stories sent directly to your email for as little as a dollar a month. For just two dollars, you'll get all the chapters in advance, plus bonus stories and other perks. Sign up now at CushingHorrors.com or visit SDSullivan.com for a Patreon link. I do hope you've enjoyed your visit. Please come again. And remember, the chamber is always waiting for its next victim. August 14th. Notes on experiment designated X. Experimental subject, myself, James Xavier. X. The most fantastic experiment you have ever taken part in presents Ray Moland in his most challenging role since his Academy Award winning Lost Weekend. X, the man with the X-ray eyes. Are you all right? It's like a splitting of the world. More light than I've ever seen. Filled with light. X. The man with the X-ray eyes tries to help the most desperate in our society and enjoys all the delights of secretly studying sexology. Headache? No, it's just my eyes. A doctor with the power to see what others cannot believe. can overcome the unknown, save lives, and invade the glamour gambling casinos of Las Vegas and defy the goddess of chance. Don't draw. Don't draw. Next card's a face card. Harry, you better go for the sheriff right now. This is the end of this episode of Monster Kid Radio. I want to thank everybody for listening and being part of the show. And when I say being part of the show, you can be a bigger part of the show by emailing or calling us and leaving us some feedback. Now, I read a bunch of emails at the top of the show. You can be part of that email conversation with us here by emailing me at monsterkidradio at gmail. Dot com. Or if you want to call in and leave a voicemail, you can always do that by calling 503-479-5657. That's 503-479-5MKR. 
If you have a comment about anything we talked about this week on the show or the previous 300-plus episodes, please feel free to drop me a line. Now, this information is at our website at monsterkidradio.net, where you're going to find everything else you need to know about the podcast between episodes. There's links to our Facebook page and our Facebook group. We just had a new like over on Facebook. As of right now, we are sitting at 1,000. 53 likes. Thank you for liking us if you're a Facebook user. If you are an iTunes user, please consider giving us an honest review in the iTunes store. Of course, anything that you can do to help spread the word about Monster Kid Radio, we love it. We appreciate it. Thank you so much for being part of of the Monster Kid thing, uh, movement or what something appreciate it you know paul from australia actually called it monster kid mansion i think i like that a lot i'm gonna start calling this place monster kid mansion uh, that's it so here i like that monster kid mansion what else is going on here at monster kid mansion well if you are in the portland oregon area next weekend february 10th there's an art show happening that you might be interested in checking out it's at a store called Wells and Vern. It's on February 10th. It's by artist John Donald Carlucci. He's somebody that I've met at previous H.P. Lovecraft Film Festivals. Well, it turns out he loves the classic monsters. And a lot of his artwork that he's going to be on display in this art show are all classic monster inspired. In fact, if you look up the event on Facebook, you're going to see his scratchboard portrait of Frankenstein's monster. It's pretty spectacular. So if you're in the area, go check that out. It's running from 6 p.m. to 9 p.m. next Friday the 10th. And, of course, let them know that you heard about them here on Monster Kid Radio. I'm not really sure what's coming up beyond the next few episodes here on the show, but I can tell you that next week we have returning guest Frank Schildener. Frank Schildener is a new pulp author, friend of mine, Monster Kid, and loves Frankenstein. He's got a new book coming a sequel to his 2015 novel, The Quest of Frankenstein. We're going to talk about that. And we're going to talk about Frankenstein's monster. And we're going to do a top three list. He and I are going to go through our top three favorite Frankenstein foes. That's coming next week. So stay tuned. Don't change that pod dial. Same pod time, same pod place. One of the same pod people. This kind of breaks down a little bit. Why don't we go ahead and wrap up the show? Again, thank you for listening. Thank you for being part of Monster Kid Radio. We're going to be back here next week. Until then, remember that Monster Kid Radio is a registered service mark of Monster Kid Radio LLC. All original content of Monster Kid Radio by Monster Kid Radio LLC is licensed under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives, 3.0 unported license. Of course, it doesn't apply to the song Party Grave. That belongs to the Gainesville, Florida surf band, The Murmurs. It's on their album, Get Swell Soon. They gave us permission to play their music here on the show. Hope you enjoy it. Check them out over at themurmurs.bandcamp.com. Talk to everybody next week. This is Monster Kid Radio. My name is Tara Kim Cook. Ciao. Ciao. <laughs>